talking about you got this and you got that and you gonna murder this one and murder that one talking all that bullshit i'm gonna put it to you like this yo this is for the nerds this is for the brainiacs this is what we deserve go ahead and play it back you ain't gonna touch me you're not gonna do nothing you are not above me i bet you wish you was me i know it i know What's up, everybody? Wow, you cut to me a little. <laughs> you really fucked me there, Lemo. <laughs> I said you know? I'm hitting mics and then I... <laughs> just snap, click the pedal. You just fucking caught me with my pants down here. Damn. I was God. trying. I'm muting. <laughs> my foot spazzed out. Right. You can't you can't let the person who stims the most be the switcher. Coming in hot. <laughs> I mean... Jesus, criminy. All right, guys. Criminy. Uh, <laughs> criminy. You know, I'm trying to keep it clean here. We're, we're, this is, we're the first five minutes now. Thanks gosh, to, darn it. Gosh, the darn it, you know? Criminy a river. Criminy a river. Uh, we have a great show for you guys today. If you're, if you're not uh, if up you're on the up. If you're an audio listener. Yeah, if you're an audio listener, I'm, I apologize. Uh, I highly suggest heading to YouTube. Maybe... <laughs> Liking, subscribing, you mm -hmm. know, leaving a comment below. Oh, you want me to do that, huh? Yeah, you want me to, you want me to say uh, youtube.com slash like and subscribe. Uh, uh, I got that. Yep. Oh, yep. No, yep. No, oh, happy no, birthday no, to Marley! Nikki, hey. <laughs> you I'm still don't got it. it. No, you, yeah. no, I'm you. It. Her shot is insanely bright. Mm -hmm. No, she looks great. No, I look great. Okay. <laughs> I think it looks great. I'm looking yeah, at it right here, but uh, you you did look just at us. we look good. We're we're bright. Okay, you gotta, guys are a little bit bright. Yeah, I look hot. I look coming in real hot. That's okay. Bit. Look, we match. We matched yesterday, Burke, and now we match again today. I think we should just color coordinate all the time. What do you think, Landon? I think so. Yeah, let's see those guns. Yeah, it looks good together. <laughs> let's see those guns. Let's I'm stretching. I'm stretching. All right, not not to not to play backseat driver here, mm -hmm. but uh, you still have your lower third up, and you still haven't given me the no, like, I comment, don't. and subscribe. No, I don't. Actually, look at this. I have like and subscribe, hey! asshole. I found it while you were yapping away about, <laughs> about being uh, color coordinated. They, they call yapping, that, king. They call that vamping in the business. Yeah. You're welcome. There's your lower third, <laughs> ass fuck. It's still up. <laughs> it's still rocking. Yeah, that's, you know, it's because keep shouting out Matt Burke. Every time uh, you, know what, you. you know what, Nikki? <laughs> <laughs> I I will say I absolutely love you for this backsplash. Thank These you. lights are so great. I look like a, a, look like a rock a, star, like a starburst. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah a little a pink, a little born. blue. That's right. You always wanted to be a little starburst. Uh, you know me. <laughs> <laughs> he does love the foodie We're candy. We're high all right, from being relax. here all day. <laughs> it's been uh, a long academy. We've been having a great time. We oh, actually have a hand crazy. from today's academy that Nikki played for the in the muck segment, which we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, but before we get to that, we have some lighthearted news to catch up on. It is, in fact, Marley Sprague's birthday today. Happy 33. 33. That's supposed to be 23. Yeah. That's right. She Hey, she self-reported. I'm not outing anything. No, no, uh, so great. big shout out to friend of the pod, Marley Sprague. That's we appreciate number. you. Happy birthday. Happy, happy birthday, birthday, Marley. Marley. And Chauncey uh, says happy birthday. That's right. We, uh, we've we reinstated the Chauncey photo. Mm -hmm. um, okay, come on, Nikki. What? What, what are you doing? <laughs> you, I like and subscribe. Okay, but you got to lose one of the two. Uh, I don't know. They need to know Matt Berkey wants you to like and subscribe. <laughs> come on. like Keep it professional. I thought you, you know? said that was only on my shot. Oh, I, just, I thought uh, it was too, but here we are. Okay, you know, here we are. So I didn't know. Uh, well, I'm the asshole? Okay. Well, I mean, you click, you click the eyeballs. Oh, I'm I guess saying. everyone has one. Okay, well, 
Uh, there's a little story behind this. Marley gave this to me as a gift, which I greatly appreciated since she stole her son and took him home. Um, but you know, I'm not going to name names, but maybe somebody whose name rhymes with taco walked by one day and just smashed it to oblivion. 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 Slytherin. Oblivion. 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 <laughs> Slytherin. Wait, give me a break. It rhymes with tapo, not <laughs> yeah. taco. Taco? <laughs> when you said taco, I'm like, who is that? Wapo taco? Come on. No, that doesn't no, rhyme. That That's doesn't fucking rhyme. Cl- it's like rhyming orange. You flopped though. Can't rhyme orange either. Yeah. I mean, I can like, rhyme orange. I was orange. like, we got a taco in here somewhere? <laughs> 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 we, have, we have taco. Eminem <laughs> rhymes orange. Ones and twos. Would you take <laughs> off the lower I'm, I'm working on it. <laughs> no, no, I'm working on it. We need people to, just, you know, follow well, us. And Lamanna, open your eyes while we're... He's <laughs> got a lot of notes for us. Oh, man. I've been staring at a screen for so damn long. We both Dude, look... Graphic graphics, bro. graphics. I, yeah, I am gra- graphics bro. Yeah. We look orange. Mm-hmm. No, you don't. Wait, why, why do you think you're seeing something different than me? We yeah. look bright. We're bright. We're a little bright. I think it's you guys okay. look great. I think I look fine. I think you look fantastic. Yeah. This is great for the audio this, listeners. These colors, these colors are nice on us. Well, if this doesn't incentivize them to get to YouTube, I don't really know what will. Okay? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, who's that talking right now? <laughs> Who lives in a pineapple under the sea? Matthew Berkey. <laughs> nice, nice, team. Nice work. He isn't big as Academy is he. <laughs> Subscribe. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, who would have thought we'd start a podcast just so we could have somebody run the switcher that trolls nonstop? Yeah. <laughs> Quapo, come home soon, man. I miss you. you. If getting better uh, at poker is something you wish, Matthew Berkey, get to the academy, stop playing like a fish. <laughs> He's so proud of himself, and she's just hitting him with the yada yada. Let's go. <laughs> Uh, Can we get a subscribe train going, team? Get the Let's hype go. train popping. The hype yes. train is real. Um, <laughs> all right, I mean, if you don't subscribe after that, uh, who are you? I, I, I are completely you? agree. I'm surprised Nikki's fucking even reached the pedal. <laughs> hey, <laughs> eat, eat a dick. <laughs> eat a dick. <laughs> I'm just happy she's going to her shot every once in a while. Yesterday, she just like stayed on me and Brian while mm-hmm. she was telling a story. And we're just like, like, mm-hmm. Yeah, That's, she was afraid that she wouldn't be able to get back to us. Yeah, I, I was, I was scared to get back. <laughs> went, <laughs> Look, I took away my lower third. Hey, there you go. Are you happy, Papa? You, you look great. The shot Papa. looks amazing. <laughs> You're like killing it over there. All right, uh, we have a couple other things of news and note. Uh, right after we report on Ethan having the biggest downswing of his career, possibly retiring from poker he does forever. The rampage thing ever. Yeah, he just goes to Montreal and chops the fucking 1500 gg event for 160k why not, why not? him and baruzzi shout out to the to the rooster man himself rooster, or is he rooster or jason mm-hmm. i'm not really sure how that works it's baruzzi and P- ponikovs right yeah and they're both rooster men no i think baruzzi is the rooster man he's the cockadoodle do yeah he's the lead okay. rooster he's the lead apostle he, so for the rooster okay God. so he's the cock master yeah. but ponikovs is like you know cock master adjacent yeah he's like the bishop right okay oh well i'm sorry where where does bishops come into play like cardinals and bishops it's like a, it's a religion what does this have to do with the cock this is the rooster god well, let me tell you bro. <laughs> <laughs> Someone break it down for me. <laughs> Brian's got you. Uh, right, take it away, Brian. <laughs> no, I was trying to think of that movie from the the Boston Globe movie. Oh yeah, the 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 one with Michael Keaton. What? No, the one about the, oh, the Michael the, Keaton. Yeah, the one oh. about the uh, the priest, right? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Yeah, Spotlight. Right, Spotlight. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, he was in it, right? Maybe. I'm pretty sure. Never saw it. Fellow Yinzer, shout out to Michael Keaton. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, I'm just going to spend the next 20 minutes talking about Yinzers that I enjoy. <laughs> uh, but no, shout out to Rampage. Uh, he cut right into that 500k downswing, picked up a nice 150 ball yesterday, 160, something like that. Yeah. Uh, looks like he chopped it with Baruzzi. So nice day for both of them. It's always good to pick up a big Monday nice to get score. like a third of it back. You know, no big deal. Immediately. Right after I say like, ah, you know, when you only play high stakes a little bit, and you lose a half a million. It's really hard. Because mm-hmm. how do you get it back? Well, that's how. Well, you fly across you the country run. and you fucking sun run a tournament. Yeah. You know, no big deal. I think that uh, he has like some special sauce that we all need to be more privy to. And just he like manifests. tap into. Is that what it is? Yeah. Would you tell me a little more? You got some crystals or well, stones? Well, uh, when you're uh, trying to manifest things, mm. you have to uh, like and subscribe. <laughs> and <laughs> She's going to manifest us think, like that, um, double our subscription right. yeah. subscribers in the next week. Mm-hmm. You got to have like a humorous attitude about I'm, yourself. I'm headed to, to Arizona on Friday. Should I swing by Sedona? Would, would you like anything? Yeah, I'm in there's the a lot of crystals yeah. you need to pick up. You want me to head to the Vortex? Definitely. <laughs> I can swing by the Vortex if you like. Uh, well, have not, you been to the vortex there's, there's multiple vortexes there's, well there's one specific yeah, one which they, vortex are you talking about? okay so there seems to be one specific one it happens to just be right smack dead in the middle of where they sell all of the bullshit okay that is not the actual where the vortex is oh. that's the vortex store oh right there's actually like three different vortexes in sedona i know oh, this because oh, i went okay. on a tour oh tell me more about the vortex. It was a three-hour tour <laughs> can't believe you made it out alive i did uh, tell yes. me about these vortexes what makes them so special you know apparently they have certain kinds of energy yeah the energy fields. right and this right. guy walks right. around with these like this this little sticks and he's like oh Look. the sticks yeah and he's yeah. like little metal sticks he's like when i walk over here nothing oh, happens then right. i walk here they magically go together oh yeah like, yeah oh, look at that you didn't definitely didn't do that with your fingers <laughs> like yeah you know what that reminds me of <laughs> is those special bracelets that they give you uh, where you know they have you hold your arms out to the mm-hmm. side, and then they just very easily push them down. But they say, "Oh, this magnetic bracelet." Then they can't push them down. Yeah, it'll just yeah. like clear your chakra up mm-hmm. and align everything. You put it on, and they yeah. they, they give it to golfers. They're like mm-hmm. your golf swing will be next level. And then you put your arms out, and they're like, "Oh, oh, oh <laughs> yeah. you're so strong." You guys right. believe a lot of crazy shit. <laughs> you reel it back. Yeah. yeah, snap back to reality, please. I love Sedona. Back to reality. Great place. It is almost place. got him to go to song, but I, I was, I, was words. I couldn't remember the next line. <laughs> it goes Sorry. gravity. Oops, choke. it goes gravity. <laughs> yeah, it's my least favorite Eminem song by a very big long shot. I kind of agree with you. It's uh, <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Well, that's because we we both like the way I am. That's true. Which is Do very. Do we like the way you I are? like uh, till I collapse. <laughs> we don't. Till I collapse is hard as fuck. Yeah, that's yeah, my favorite. Yeah, I like yeah. till, till I. Collapse. I mean, that's that's my favorite like song that made the radio. The way I am, I think, is my favorite overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it's like you know sick like you, actually you like well it's actually like a deranged song yeah like, you know it really just it's uh it's one step below back, like all the six sags in this bag with this weed it gives me the shit need why the camera on me cook she didn't want to cook on air yeah i don't okay because then they'll use that clip of me and they'll be like look how cringe nikki is right now you can't uh-huh oh now we get it uh one final news and note is the poker go what are they calling it? Is it the warm-up? It's uh, the kickoff. The kickoff? Okay, so some warm-up adjacent. Adjacent? adjacent. So, so let me get this right. They went from the warm-up to the kickoff. They went from the last chance to the kickoff. <clears throat> oh, right. The last chance to the kickoff. Yeah. With no, time, no time off in between. Not really. It was like a week. <clears throat> Fascinating. Fascinating. Okay. Anyway, we've kicked things off, apparently, yeah. with uh, a 5K series. The final... Uh, Today was or uh, Tuesday was the final 10K, 5K. No, 10. 
Oh, the last thing of the turn. Of oh, they the upped series. it. Yeah. Okay. Well, it looks like uh, the Foxins had made a bit of a run and uh, both made a final table in said 10K. Now, the last time they made a final table together that I recall was uh, Venetian Gate. Yeah. Where they were accused of soft playing. And uh, I got to tell you, I don't think there was any soft playing taking place here. No. Mm. We, uh, we saw violence. A little foxing wow. on foxing violence. Yep. So uh, Chrissy's got the queens. Yep. And uh, oh, Alex got the uh, aces. You got the aces. The birds, if you Those will. Are, that's the best hand you can have in poker. Yeah, we call them the birds. People that don't know. The American Airlines. <laughs> American yeah, Airlines. Yeah, American Airlines, yep. I think that's why they're the birds. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, you know, eventually they're going to get all in. Now, there was a point where the producer assumed that they were going to collude, and they had Alex fo uh, folding the aces. Uh, that actually comes up on the graphics that's here. Really? <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> but, you know, I think he's just a little bit of a little troll. Uh, obviously, he's not folding. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it could have been a slip of the finger. I, I've done that many yeah, times. Yeah, don't want to play spoiler or anything, but, you know, we're going to find a queen ball right on this flop. What, what, what's the matter, I just Landon? don't think you jam queens here. Uh, <laughs> oh, here's like, like, wait, I think I just... I think yeah. you just click it. I mean, you just go 410. Uh, well, you know, maybe she thought her husband would call her, call her light. I don't know. Maybe she didn't mind if he, you know, doesn't stack off to her in this spot. Like, mm -hmm. what, what, do you, what do you want, man? They know each other intimately. Mm -hmm. I know? love that it says monkey toes. She knows his them. exact betting styles, too. Like. <laughs> right. Right. Obviously, he has aces. <laughs> I mean, he pulls, he, he picks up outs. Does pick up outs. I like her sweatshirt. Unfortunately. I do, too, actually. Um, I think I have a t-shirt in whatever that brand is. Nice. It's like the heart with the eyes Machino. on it. Is that what it is? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I have, I have one gray t-shirt. I don't think hers is that though. Cause it has eye. The heart has eyes on the machino. You're right. Yeah. There's no eyes here. Oh, I see. Okay. Well, it's been landing with fashion. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I love when Landon Go Chrissy. Um, <laughs> so I'm not sure. Do we have an update of how this ended up? I think she won. Okay. I think D-Nag's got second. Sam Laskowitz got third. Zobie in fourth. I can look really quick. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, yeah, so it does seem like she won. Uh, 160, yeah, yeah, she beat D-Neg's heads up for 165,000. Wow. Good for Chrissy B. This one. Also collects 330 oh, PGT points. Cross. I don't know what it is, but we'll find out. Right. There we go. 450, I've got. Oh, and I must Paint have. and a four King. across. Right. Nine. Yeah. King nine versus Jack six. Okay. Negron with a favor double up. Yeah. And that's the problem with how big these blinds are. He just doubled up to a million, and now he can double up to a million again. So <laughs> sort of stuck in neutral. He's going to need a run of double ups, and here's the flop. Oh, Jack in the middle there. And Foxen now two cards away from winning this event. Daniel and are looking for a king and a king only, or backdoor cards to make a straight. Turn card. Ah, from the ten. ten. That gives him a ton of outs. Hey, seven. <laughs> queen, king. That's all. Easy peasy. Seven, queen, king. Eleven outs for Negranu. He's going to need to hit. Kristen Fox and one card away from taking it down. River card. Nine. The nine, nine. of diamonds. <laughs> Good game. And Fox and great. Thank you. You wins it. I ran amazing. <laughs> Any chance the mics were muted? <laughs> 
No, uh, no. Oh, okay, so Landon's just fucking gulping in the mic. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> I shot him daggers. <laughs> How about Negreanu like, though? Like well, playing the quality over quantity thing uh, seems to be working well. Yeah, I'm I actually mean, really happy for him. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's not complete <laughs> love anecdote. That for him. Or I love that for him. It's it's not like total anecdote or you know a sample size of five, but that's okay. Why is he so grumpy? <laughs> be happy for people. I, I'm not. I'm not happy. I'm not happy nor unhappy. Good, good runs after making you're, you're a declarative. You're completely indifferent. I'm. I'm totally indifferent. I. Yeah. I think that. Um, I think that. You know, it's. You're running zero EV right now. I just think it's meaningless. Like quantity, quality. Like yeah, whatever helps you play well, man. We add meaning know? to life, Berkey. I used to think that way. I did. Nikki, yeah. once best, upon a time, that's when yeah. you're still alive inside. You know, I don't know if it was alive. <laughs> I don't know if it was me being alive inside so much as uh, it was me. Um, youthful exuberance. Maybe, maybe a little bit of that. Maybe a little bit of thinking that like I lived somehow above the fray of everybody else, which uh, gave yes. me more control, mm. you know? Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, you play a game of high variance for 20 fucking years and you just realize, oh, yeah. Nothing you do matters, man. Except for the buttons that you click whenever the money goes in the middle. Mm -hmm. Like, all that matters is the decisions you make, whether or not they're plus EV, whether now or not they're correct. he's pressing high quality buttons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, honestly, like this... <laughs> this uh, That's right, like and subscribe. This is probably... <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I'm getting trolled so hard. Uh, it's it, so good. It's probably a conversation like worth touching on since you know we got we got some time to vamp here a bit. Um, what are your guys' thoughts of quality over quantity? I like it personally. For what reasons? Um, okay, so it feels good when <laughs> it's a small sample size and I won a majority of it. Mm. And what about when the inverse happens? Okay, so uh, <laughs> I'll give an example, I guess. Um, and this is honest. I mean, I am very, very self-aware that this is like um, completely anecdotal and mm. very small sample size. But, you know, last or not last year, but 2022, uh, my first uh, WSOP series. I had only played like um, 20 live tournaments at that point, and I final tabled five of them, and then the fifth one being the WSOP bracelet final table. Um, and it was huge scores, and I was like, whoa, so fun. And then um, I played like a bunch of tournaments, like, like but more poker than I have ever played in the entire time I had ever played poker, and I just felt exhausted. It took away the fun part of it for me, not just like because I busted a lot and there was like a lot more like um, of the downside of variance, but also just because I didn't feel good. like it wasn't I wasn't having fun. Mm. And I think that the fun aspect, and that's why when people are like are are you gonna go pro or whatever i i don't know if i would have fun uh yeah like they're like are you wanna are, are you trying to be a pro poker player and i i don't know but i don't really think i would have fun if uh if i had to play a really high volume and knew that that was like the way statistically that you beat the odds and like you know uh, well it's not even yeah. about beating the odds or or anything like that right like i i for what it's worth by the way, I wholeheartedly agree. Like, as somebody who's, if you're playing like recreationally or you're in Negrano shoes where the money isn't important, um, I think the way that you spend your time is so much more critical. Yeah. 
than like the return that you get the value in time versus value in money and win rate. yeah yeah the actual hourly that you're making is way less important than the quality of uh that you're getting in return for the time spent but i think it's a very privileged position to be in and mm -hmm. i think that when you frame it the way daniel did in the sense that like he's implying that there's weight to the notion of um finding the sweet spot with volume versus uh you know quality of play all he's basically admitting is that at some point his game deteriorates mm -hmm. and that's very very self-aware and very important as a professional to understand but our job is not to um kind of acknowledge a flaw and then just like turn our back to it and like find the band-aid which is just like play less mm -hmm. right it'd be like basically figuring out that uh, you're heavily imbalanced facing river bets. And so what you do is just go all in on the turn more, right? Like, because you, you just like fold too often to river bets, that type of thing. Like, that's not the proper correction. Like, sure, it no longer allows you to overfold the river bets, but like now all of a sudden you're, you're creating a strategy that's just like harmful to you in other positions or other nodes of the game tree. Um, or, you know, another good example would be like, that would be like saying, like, if you're a losing player, playing less will cost you, uh, like, like your bottom line will increase. Mm. And like, yeah, of course that's true, right? <laughs> like, yeah. You just have, have less opportunity to lose. Mm -hmm. um, so you think the solution's more finding balance in, like, the work-life energy flow or, or what? I think, I think we always have to push on our, our shortcomings, right? So in the past, and even to, the, even to today, I'm not a huge volume guy in the sense that live is always just going to be low volume by comparison, right? Like you'll never, you'll never reach a statistical significance with the sample that you're able to put in. So it really is about finding a, uh, and striking a balance between the amount of hours spent and the return that you're trying to uh, accrue. But Daniel's expectations are incredibly high. So he's looking for very large return with very minimal, I don't want to say effort, but very minimal volume spent, right? New, it's the new mm -hmm. small ball strategy. Yeah, and small, it's like <laughs> small tournament entry, right? For big payoff, right? And yeah. it's like it works if you sun run, but if you sun run, it won't matter how many tournaments you played, right? Like if you're sun running, uh, playing more tournaments is just going to yield more results. I mean, if you're in a better like headspace, does mm -hmm. that, that that probably has something to do with it too, right? If he's not like yeah. just grinding nonstop, where he's just like, I don't want to play today, and or I'm not in the right mood to play, but now when he like limits his volume, he's like like ready to go yeah feeling good rested and he's gonna play like he has a, a uh, maybe he's not gonna play his a game every time but he's a better chance to play his he's a at game. least gonna believe he's playing it, his a game more right and, yeah. and that you know that's worth something i agree i think all that stuff's worth something i think that that speaks to what i was talking to where you have to press like once you find a, a blind spot or mm -hmm. a, a, um a, i guess like a, a weakness of your own you need to build a callus around it rather than trying to just band-aid over it, right? So if you recognize that you fall off from putting in too much volume, or you mm -hmm. recognize that you get bored, or that uh, you don't try as hard, you get lazy with your decisions, whatever the case may be, the answer, in my opinion, is not to play less. It's not to reduce your time at the table. It's to find ways to become as passionate on the 1,000th hand dealt to you as you were on hand one, mm -hmm. right? And right now, Daniel's answer for that is time away abstinence makes the heart grow fonder 
right? Abstinence. Abstinence. What did I say? Abstinence? Yes. Absence. <laughs> no, no, no. Ab- well, abstinence. I was correct. Makes, it's no. abstinence. It's absence. Yeah. No, I'm talking about no sex. <laughs> yes. That's that abstinence. Yes. yes. Abstinence yeah. makes the heart grow fonder. It makes something grow. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, That's not I, a dad I, joke. That's a rad joke. It's not joke. even meant to be a joke. I'm not pulling Ooh. it out of thin air. This is like a high school fucking like dare type of program. The quote was... Uh, the quote is... The, yeah, uh, but the play on the quote is abstinence makes I the heart grow fonder. I never knew that. This is the really? quote? That was an actual thing. It was like a... It was like an STD it's awareness type of, oh. you know, yeah. after no, school I schedule. I believe you. I believe you. I is he cooking? Uh, I only remember because my, for whatever reason, we had a magnet on the refrigerator. That it says abstinence makes the heart grow. <laughs> yeah, apparently. yeah, it was because my grandparents abstinence were Catholic. Abstinence makes the heart on grow. <laughs> my grandparents were Catholic. They yeah. believed Subscribe. in no sex until marriage. Mm. Um, anyway, I get what you're saying. Yeah, the the in this instance, I absolutely mean abstinence because yes. playing is the thing that like absolutely. <laughs> well, playing is like uh, the the activity that you know, we derive pleasure from similar to sex. And, and it does correlate in that regard. Like (laughs) if you're fucking every day, you know, Sunday isn't as good as the previous Sunday was. I think Bro's right? projecting. <laughs> what am I projecting? A lot of single angst energy. Um, do you think there's any merit, though, to... You should have put the like, subscribe, and <laughs> <right in. laughs> <laughs> This fucking thing wasn't so creepy. Oh, yeah. Him on him. Oh. It's, too, it's too late. The moment well, passed. Anyway. The moment passed. Yes. Um, I do you think there's any merit though to um, <laughs> to like finding flow stake because like I think that burnout is a real thing and I can only compare it to I was being a YouTube grinder for so many years where I was putting out five days a week content and um, and not live so there was a lot of editing involved and like you know working through that but when you do it every day and sometimes you're not feeling it and it's a creative thing. Um, burnout happens and your audience can tell you're not putting out qu- as quality of videos as you were. I mean, you can be less precious about it because you're putting on high frequency, you know, so you could be less precious about it. But you, I, there's something in your like soul that like kind of dies a little bit. And I feel like there's a balance of uh, qu- volume that you can put in that like you achieve flow state and you're putting out quality work consistently because you're not burning the candle at both ends. Do you think there's like any merit to to that? Well, I think like you're comparing a little bit of apples to oranges. Like I think poker in its, you know, uh, fully unlocked state is both an art and a science. But I think at the at the level that we currently understand it, it's far more science than art. And the people who try to be artists and paint, uh, you know, by throwing paint against the canvas. They lose a million dollars playing heads up. Maybe. Uh, I forgot that he was, he was the artist. There you go. Uh, but the, the thing is, is it's not that there's nothing to that. It's just if you want to make the most amount of money, like you just get technically good at the game. Like Landon's never going to burn out from mm-hmm. a mechanical sense. No. And, and what I mean I'm not by, gonna burn out from two e sizes. Yeah, like what I mean by that is it's it's not that he's he's gonna play perfectly or mistake free all the time, but uh, he's not gonna make rash emotional decisions because he's pre-programmed to just do what the sim wants yes. him to do. But do you believe do. in the, left, void of the right brain left brain stuff? I'm not void. Of yeah, yeah, and I think that I think that that 
I think that kind of like cuts out what type of player you're going to be. And look, this is coming from somebody who's not like yeah. uh, super technical whenever it comes to the way that I like, I certainly paint with a broad brush when it comes to this, but I also chose a discipline that allows me to in super deep state cash or super deep uh, stack cash. Rather when you're playing tournaments, like it's just the same repetitive thing over and over again. Right. It's, it's uh, well, the losing part. <laughs> well, not just the losing part, but also the the flow of the tournament. It's hundred big blinds to start, fifty big blind average, a third of the way through, thirty big blind average halfway through, and then maybe like twenty big blind average as you approach the final table. So it's like the phases of the event are the exact same. Where you fall in line as far as like being the top of the chips or the bottom of the chips don't really matter. You're always going to find yourself in some of some spectrum of that position at all different given times. And so all you're doing when you show up over and over and over again is execute. And that's why a lot of these young guys are putting up massive res results, yeah. right? And sometimes you just get wrecked, like call it for someone close to me, like David Coleman's had rough-ish years, never really won a live tournament until this year, has a bunch of thirds and fourths and like deep runs. But then this year, for whatever reason, nothing really changed in his game. Exactly. Won the Venetian tournament. Brewer is another great Final example. tabled four straight in the kickoff. Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay, this time, like this year, like it's picking you. Yeah, and the media is like really awful about uh, furthering these narratives, right? Because like nothing, I, I mean, look, something probably changed for Brewer. Obviously, he like had to step away from the game briefly and like, you know, uh, the variance was actually getting to him. But at the end of the day, he's a really mathematical mind. And I doubt that his execution changed very much, mm -hmm. right? He's still just employing the same strategy. Maybe he made a few tweaks here and there. And I'm never saying that like when you're losing, you shouldn't be examining your game and, and making tweaks along the along those lines. But what I am saying is like to imply that like it's a it's all mental. To imply that like if I were just in a better state of mind i would win more of these 60 40s he's just like crazy to me now don't get me wrong yeah. if i was in brewer shoes i would have walked away a long fucking time ago <laughs> because taking a break would be the only thing that would keep me sane mm -hmm. right it wouldn't be a matter of like i'm afraid if i keep showing up my win rate is going to continue to plummet it would be more so that like i would be afraid that i actually was doing something wrong and it was undiscovered to me at that point so i would stop playing as a means to like be a tourniquet until I retooled my game and like crossed every T and dotted every I and made sure that like everything was in line of like, okay, I definitely know what I'm doing. I've taken some time away. I hit the fucking gym. And you know, now after a month off, I'm going to try the next series and I'm going to get my face kicked in again because it's a tournament and that's how they <laughs> fucking work. You know, it's like, it's a lot of losing. I mean, yeah. it became a running bit where every time Chris was all in, it was like, you just stand up and walk away. Yeah. Like, oh, like, you're done. <laughs> Until it wasn't. And, it's and they like just it, started winning. When it comes to the whole Daniel, like, I'm going to play when I want to. And if that works, great. But I don't think it's that predicative <clears throat> on the results that he has. Like, right. Sure. That, so, that's kind of my like, point. It's going to help you play mm -hmm. better. And maybe your ROI in a tournament increases slightly. Yeah. Or like you're winning, call it 7% instead of 5 Yeah. But that's not this massive... You're not strategically overhauling anything. Like Darren Elias right. has said the same thing, though. But about everybody, everybody who says this, I've said the same thing as well. <laughs> but everybody who says this is rich and doesn't have to play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. None of us have to play. That, Do you think that that might be like the like a uh, goal to get to then, like where you can get to a point you know where how you, you can get choose? there? 
By playing, by fucking playing a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's so, like so now that I'm, uh, what I'm saying is like now that Negrano has played a lot, yeah. like has he earned like he has a lot of Absolutely. money until mm -hmm. to be able to say, hey, I think I'm at this point in my career for sure. where I can do yeah. X Y Z for sure. Where it enters Delulu territory is when it gets projected out that that is actually the preferred approach that's the key right, right? That, that's the key to victory that the only reason he had a losing year or one of the major reasons why he had a losing year is because he played a lot because what that actually implies is that you're a losing player like oh man i massively increased my volume this year and i had a down year mm -hmm. i never have down years it's like oh wait maybe you know and i don't think daniel's a losing player but my point is is like if phil had said the same shit we would drag him through the coals because like this white magic doesn't really exist yeah you know, playing is a, a mandatory requirement of somebody who takes the game seriously and wants to earn money, whether it be as a, a side hustle or a full-blown career. But that being said, I agree with everybody's sentiments of you can burn yourself out. Burnout exists when you still have a lot left to learn, though, mm -hmm. right? When you're not intimately knowledgeable about your strategy, about... Uh, what you do really well, how you're earning. Like, if you can't sit down at the table and see seven opponents that you're up against and say, I have a reasonable uh, general idea of how I'm making money from these players. And I have a reasonable idea of how I might be losing money to players that are better than me. You know, you're not going to always be the best player in a game. If you sit down and it's like, there's a world beater to your left and it's just like, okay, I know the areas that he's really sharp that I'm not so skilled in. So it's not even that I can avoid them. It's just I know I'm giving up win rate to him in those spots. And I have to accept that if I'm going to play with him, right? And maybe now that's something I want to train and get better at. But I just recognize like how money exchanges hands in any one given session or over large sample sizes. Uh, so if you don't know how you're taking money from the pool, then you certainly don't know your strategy very well. In which case, sure, time off is going to be great for you because all you're really trying to uh, accrue is positive reinforcement emotionally every time you sit down at the table, which is exactly what's happening. If Daniel busts, he's still emotionally getting uh, positive reinforcement because it was on his terms, right? He didn't have to play today. He wanted to play today. Things mm -hmm. didn't go his way. That's okay. But I chose to play today. I chose to play today. I know that things don't always go my way, and now I can just like fully reset and get back out there the next time I really want to be in the arena. It's just the emotional hedge between I wanted to be here versus I have to be here. Correct. Which I absolutely get that. Nobody wants this to be a nine to five. Nobody wants this to be a grind. We all yeah. chose and this. And you have to do it if anymore. If you're like a, a small stakes grind on the, right. way, on the come up and on a limited bankroll and you don't have like other sources of income. You have to earn now this freedom. You, have to like, you don't have the privilege to just go play uh on the weekends at night, right. right? When the games are the best and they're mm -hmm. the loosest, right? You have to play the afternoon game. You have to play during the week. Got a reg battle. Play, right. There, there's, you just can't play like maybe those, the really good games, you make 10 big blinds an hour. And, but the really bad ones, you, maybe you make $3 an hour yeah. or three, uh, three big blinds, big blinds yeah. an hour, but you can't, you, you have, you can't afford not to play those games. Right. 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 Yeah. So you have to like, Put, put the you know put the volume in yeah. yeah and and like yeah you have to earn the freedom and daniel's earned every bit of the freedom for sure like you know he definitely does not have to play ever for 30, again for that matter 30 some years 40 years uh i i just yeah, think 40, like 30 years i just think like the overall messaging of like okay this is my plan moving forward and i have really high expectations 
Those two things don't really align. Right. Because I have such a high expectation to play 50 events and have this infinite ROI. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, when it works out, it works out. You look like a genius. It's not even that. Like, if we just break it down mathematically, if Daniel on January 1 says, all right, look, here's my plan for the year. I'm going to play 50 events total. It's going to be a comp it's, uh, the total buy-ins of these 50 events are going to be $3.5 million. I think that I have a positive ROI in all of these events that probably averages out to like 10%. So this year, I should make three point eight five million, right? Three hundred fifty thousand. Yeah, three hundred fifty thousand. On oh, oh, cash yeah. for cash for three point eight. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I should cash for three point eight million, right? Mm -hmm. And then he just immediately goes, "But I actually expect to make ten million this year." <laughs> right, like that's where it would just be like, "What are we talking about?" Like, what are we talking about that you have just decided that these 50 events are going to yield a sun run? Because the truth of the matter is it's 50 events. Even if you, you know, like there's just no predictive measure. If you have a 10% ROI over those 50 events, you might lose 2.5 million. You might win 10 million like you suspect you will. But the point is, is that picking either one of those numbers on the graph are meaningless. They're just as meaningless as actually picking your true win rate, which may be 10%, and saying, like, I think I'm going to cash for 3.8 million because it's 50 fucking tournaments. It just doesn't matter. He can go 0 for 50, literally, and have done nothing wrong, right? And at the end of the year, he would maybe feel inclined to, like, write a blog post <laughs> reflecting back on, like, why this was the worst year ever and we lost 3.5 million. Worst year of my life. Might have just played the best poker. He's exactly. Played. And, like, that's the brewer thing. Like, we, we shine a light on this because it's uh, or we shine a, a, a very bright light on this because it's Daniel right and I think we all look up to him I think his career has been you know Hall of Fame worthy times 10 um, but at some point we made a shift and I you know this comes full circle to how we initially got into this topic of like we made a shift from uh, not really having vision over anything and just having to believe what we believe like where we were just like almost in like some weird poker religion right where it's just like well i'm a good poker player so like the world is my oyster and my win rate is limitless and truly this is how we thought in the early 2000s mm -hmm. right money was free yeah it was more it was, true then than it is now it was more true but like you know we were delusional bro like i thought i could make 100 million playing poker in a couple of years yeah time. that's nuts to me right of course it is because it's it's ridiculous like maybe in my lifetime i'll make that if i play for 50 years even that besides like call it marketing or whatever yeah and even that is like pretty fucking nuts right yeah. so how many people from your generation have eight figures three or maybe and like that's an insane number for there to even be one is crazy right um but you know there's the whole networking thing and like they've fallen to money whatever it doesn't really matter um but anyway like we were all delusional but it's because what were you comparing it to you know, we didn't have any math. We, we didn't know what true win rates were. We couldn't even begin to estimate. You didn't have variance calcs. You just had your ego. <laughs> right. And, you know, it evolved gradually. We started to understand what reasonable hourlies were in, like, the early 2010s, uh, what reasonable ROIs might be. But even then, we thought they were, like, you know, 100%, 200%, 300%, something like that, right? Now we're at 2024, and it's just like, all right, look, if you're winning and you're really good, you're going to make a doctor's salary. If you're playing big enough stakes and you're really good at what you do. If you are really good at what you do and you don't play big stakes, you're going to make a government worker salary, a post office worker salary, something along those lines, something good, you know, and you're going to have a lot of freedom attached to it. But like the dream of 
being a professional poker player is akin to being a professional athlete is just like fucking dead. You know, that was a thing. Bro, I mean, we thought we to, were making bank. No, yeah, no, no. I mean, like back point. then, like being a professional poker player is like one of those athlete level. I can very honestly say that like early to mid 2000s, I would have put Daniel in the exact same category as like Tom Brady. Not I'm sure not, you hated him. Not, but... not, not to that degree, but like <laughs> a high level athlete, right? Like not the most elite of any sport because those guys were already clearing like nine figures. Yeah. Or, or, you but know, you just meant in popularity, eight, eight right? Figures, yeah. yeah. Like not just popularity, but but potential earn. Oh, just money like, too. Do I think Daniel Negreanu in like 2008? If you had asked me, do I think Daniel Negreanu is going to make 100 million in his life? It's like fuck yes, and he probably did, right? Um, but now in 2022, do I think Jason or 2024 rather? Do I think Jason Kuhn has a path to make 100 million? Maybe, but not directly through poker. Yeah. Right. Uh, and if it is, it's because of like very select access to like stakes that are game. just like in like maybe like 20k 40k mm -hmm. uh hong kong dollars yeah. or something like that one just house two house red yeah house, exactly house. exactly so it's just like you know it's changed a lot the landscape has shifted very far off so <laughs> has it changed in that way or is it just more public when it comes to the action selling and things on those lines like people played not on their own dollar for higher stake stuff back way back when i don't i think there were more mm -hmm. degenerates for sure. Yeah. You think more of these people just had all of themselves and Yeah, I think there are a lot of stories of I think there are a lot of Chino Reams from back in the day. It's like ran it up, ran it down. Yeah. Like when we played yeah. tournaments. Notorious guys. When we played tournaments, we would just like we'd always be on our own dime for the most part. I mean, I guess we'd sell a little bit, but like it wasn't or we'd swap a little and bit. We'd like include ten Ks. Like we'd yeah. have like a fifty K roll and we'd be like in a ten K with hundred percent of ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Like even if we satellite it in, right? Mm -hmm. Even if we played like a fifteen hundred to get in. Right. It was a $1,500 risk to us. We didn't even consider selling. Right. You know, we would swap. We would do dumb swaps, man. We used to swap like 50%. Yeah, something crazy. With just like each other. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, you want to do swap? It's like, yeah, half? It's like, yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck? That's insane. Yeah. <laughs> um, Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating. I know, that, I know that this may have come off a little bit like I was poo-pooing Daniel. I'm not. Like, again, like, bro, he's earned every bit of getting to do whatever he wants. The fact that he shares anything with us publicly is insane, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, he gives more to the community than pretty much anybody uh, from that generation, for sure. Um, but I, I do, like, think it's important to point out that there's actually no real correlation between results and a lack of volume. Right, it's like almost it, it always be, just going to be a, a it wouldn't luck be factor. a do as I say, not as I do type of thing here, where it's like if you really are on the grind, it's not about how good do you feel mm -hmm. if you need to make money. Yeah, I mean, I just kind of like want to point out that it's more anecdotal than anything. It's like feeling good is fucking great. It does feel good. To it's like in, show up and want to yeah, play. it's great. It we, good everybody good. should strive for that. My my argument is more so that you should strive to be able to do that at a higher volume, because it's like other, if you could do that every day, why wouldn't you? Right, because otherwise you're just. All you're doing is like you're catering to your emotion at the cost of your wallet. And that's a weird hedge whenever you're playing a game for a living. That's you make money off of if yeah. you just show up and play. Yeah. Where like how different is your A game going to be from your B game? Well, a lot if you're not super mechanical. And I think that's Daniel's point. He, and he's saying he's not super mechanical? I don't know if he is or not, but like I think of him similar to someone like me. We We like... We like to color. More so attuned to the environment. Or... We're paying a lot of attention to the environment. Mm -hmm. We like to do fuck shit. Yeah. You know, we don't want to be hemmed in by the, the quote unquote rules of the solver. You're not allowed to do that, Bert. <laughs> 
But I think the difference is, is that because like I'm constantly coaching and constantly training, I actually have to continually be reminded of what the quote unquote guardrails are. Like that'll be my difference. Like versus Daniel is my A game and B game are very close to each other. Yeah, you're gonna miss a low frequency check raise. Yeah. Right, and you're gonna call it instead. Right. Like you're gonna don't size incorrectly. Catch or I, yeah. I'm a pip off or something. The it things feels that, bad. The things that you scrutinize are complete afterthoughts to me. Because, like, so much win rate is being exchanged in, in like, pure nodes in my game for, like, infinite dollars. That it's just way more important for me not to, like, show up with a hand that is supposed to mix fold and I'm pure calling. Right? Like, that's the only thing that really matters to me. But, like, you scrutinize the game down to a level of, like, well, when I have the spade here instead of the diamond, <laughs> like, I should be much more aggressive with my check raises. Like, that's great. I understand. I don't care. Uh, it's not important to my bottom line. Yeah, this actually happened in the 1K where I had a final two table spot and I was like, I think I can bet this hand because I blocked this hand, I unblocked this hand. And I have to like run HRC, get pre-flop ranges, <laughs> and then you don't even know if he's yeah. playing them or not. You just right. have to make sure it can potentially work. Go to Pio, use ICM ranges, or, like, or use ICM rake, and then run the spot, get an answer, and then maybe you're right. Yeah. It's like, how much does this even matter? For that one specific spot. Right. And then yeah. it's like, you know what? What if I give him a little bit more king queen here? Right. And then the whole sim changes. Right. And it's like, well, okay. Now we're just playing the guessing game of mm -hmm. if you think it's going to be the way you think it is. It makes is. you a better theorist, though. Yeah, which, it makes you smarter. Which I think is important. Um, right. This will kind of dovetail into the conversation that we had today at the Academy. Like that. So it's funny because I think you and I are extremely polar opposite. Uh, the way that I theorize about the game or quote-unquote theory craft, if you will, is from a very top-down approach. It's extremely broad, right? Like, I see the pieces move in-game, and I just want to know, like, what can I do to disrupt that type of stuff, right? So if you're in a cash game, there are some mechanics that are just, like, pretty standard. You're going to have RFIs, you're going to have three bets, you're going to have four-bet formations, right? And you just get accustomed to these formations, you get accustomed to the sizings and stuff like that, and my version of theory crafting is like, okay, well, what if we screw with the mechanics a little bit? Like, that's the first variable that we can fuck with. What if we make our sizes smaller or bigger? How then will that yield different reactions? And then you start to understand the game, like, with SPR and range versus range. You know, you start to think like, okay, well, if I go smaller here, maybe this portion of his range doesn't fold. If I go larger here maybe this portion of his range doesn't fold and it's torching money by continuing, like that type of stuff. And you just kind of like work your way down from the top level until finally, when it's all said and done, you're like, well, let me test it. And then you open a sim. Finally, after like all of this thinking and, you know, moving big pieces in your head, then you finally open a sim and you say, okay, I'm going to look at this formation. It's a three bet formation. He has this range. I have this range. What happens in theory? Okay, there's the baseline. Now, what happens if I alter his sizing to this or my sizing to that or his range this way? Or th and then, you know, we, we trim and we prune and we see the difference in the responses. And now all of a sudden you become a little bit better of a practitioner because you understand exactly how it's supposed to move in theory, but you've also seen like four or five derivatives of what can happen if the variables shift. And now you can extrapolate that to in-game. I think you work the exact opposite. I think you work precisely backwards where you look at a spot and correct me if I'm wrong at any point, but you look at a spot. So it's like three bet spot, his range, my range. Okay. Let me put that to memory bank. Like, okay, these are the boundaries of the ranges. Got it. Okay. Board texture. What's the sizing scheme? Okay. The available sizes here are small or over bet. Got it. Uh, which portion of his range goes small? 
Got it. Which portion of his range goes over back? Got it. What's my reaction to either? Okay, got it. Now, what can I pull out of that that is a heuristic, right? Why did this portion of his range go small? Well, if I look at his range and when he goes small, and then I look at the reaction of my range, and I notice that these sort of hands struggle and become a little bit indifferent, I realize that that's the target. So the heuristic here is that he makes ace-king mad, right? Like that type of thing. And then you extrapolate that out. And now your, your extrapolation is actually at the heuristic level, right? My extrapolation is at the practical level where uh, I, I land on the heuristics from like thinking about the game big picture and then I test it as much as I can, right? I try to break, the, I try to break my assumptions as much as I can through testing. And then whenever they don't break, I say, okay, that's a heuristic I can count on. And through the extrapolation, I can just apply that heuristic even if we fuck with the variables. And I think that you kind of do the opposite where it's like, okay, we're going to make everything constant and there will be no variables. And then we're going to pull a heuristic out of that. And I can apply that broadly over a bunch of different spots. For cash, it's more so that way for like tournament strategy, call it like ICM, like guidelines. It's yep. the latter. It's your version where it's like, okay, I've, I fucked up spots uh, like at the FT I played where it's like, oh, I don't know if I'm allowed to limp here. I don't think I should play pure RFI. You run the spot. You realize it's one versus two in chips. And you're like, oh, okay, you can put pressure on this guy because he's second. Mm -hmm. Now, how would that change if I put the short stack in the big blind? Do you still get to play jams or limps? And then you test it. And now you say, okay, because he's shorter, there's less pressure, so I can play limps. So that's super fascinating because... Um I've just always been this way because I obviously came from a time where we didn't have the machine to rely on. You were kind of introduced differently. You were almost introduced through the sim. I got right? better through the sim. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you may have an introduction to the game prior, but like the way you actually took the game seriously. I played poker for a year without the solve, and then I played poker for a year with. I still won at like micros, the 1020 on global without it, but then I moved up in stakes faster with it. Like, that's when I started working yeah. with Jeremiah. Right. So that's when you became serious. Like, you actually became serious about studying. I became serious about having a way to study versus just asking Correct. my coach and saying, oh, that I played this hand and he told me what he thought. Right, right. Correct. Okay. So for me, it's always just been one way because the tools weren't accessible. When the tools became accessible, they became a, a, a welcomed addition, right? To either confirm or deny uh, previous presumptions. <clears throat> Deep Stack Cash is very similar with icm in the regards that we just struggle with the tools that are currently available to get solid answers 100 big blind cash pretty solvable right uh chip ev stage of the tournament pretty solvable right so your method makes a lot of sense there and that's mostly the things that you have been playing up until about a year year and a half ago so it makes a lot of sense to me that your methodology has changed because you're entering uncharted waters that don't really offer such clean solutions. You can't really, you can't really um, plug the variables as being constants anymore. Yeah. Right. You can't count on the formations as being consistent. You, you can't count on the stack variations being consistent. It's literally every individual spot is almost like an organic, living, breathing thing. Yeah. Every spot's new. We're like first in chips when you have five big blinds versus 50 is a completely different scenario. Mm -hmm. Where if you try to implement the 50 big blind, like covering versus one to two versus five, you're probably making mistakes in a lot of, pla in a lot of places. Right. 
So I find that interesting because today the question was posed to us during the academy of, uh, you know, what would you suggest we do to go about further study? Like, how do you guys go about studying? And, uh, you know, Matt kind of gave his answer and it was, uh, his own individual stuff was a lot more of the mechanics aspect of it, but he gave a really great answer of, um, I don't think in 2024 it's possible to get ahead without some sort of brain trust, right? So creating some sort of study group where you're able to uh, bounce ideas off of one another, theorycraft off of one another, stress test each other's notions and not take anything as being uh, concrete is really the only way to become better at thinking about the game. And I think that's ultimately the end goal rather than being better at mechanically executing the game. Uh, and most people, I think, miss that, right? Mm -hmm. I think the majority of the people out there, whenever they sign up to a training site or they get GTO Wizard or what have you, they're strictly trying to figure out a mechanic that will correct for the areas that they feel uncomfortable in-game. I keep getting 3-bet uh, when I have Ace-King out of position, and sometimes I 4-bet and I miss and I don't win. Sometimes I just call and I miss and I don't win. Sometimes I make a king and uh, I don't stack them because like they just fold, whatever the case may be. I don't know what to do in this particular spot. So they go to Wizard, and they run a bunch of Sims, and then just see, like, oh, I'm just supposed to fight harder with Ace-King. Right, so they develop a mechanic for that, mm -hmm. and they basically just say like, okay, well, now I have it implanted in my head. I'm just never giving up when I have Ace King, right? Like I'm just going to find a way to be all in more often with Ace King, whether it's jamming pre, uh, or it's uh, you know barreling off post, whatever the case may be. But they just develop a mechanic. And granted, this isn't as simple as like open three X instead of two X. Like it's it's a a more crafted mechanic in the sense of like, okay, well you have to be. Uh, you know, you have to be uh, conditioned to the board textures and you have to be able to execute some level of strategy. But the point is that people are looking for the simple version, right? They're looking for the simple mechanic of, can I range bet? They're looking for the simple mechanic of uh, a guide to check raising, right? They're looking for uh, the simple things that will tell them like what allows or, or what types of hands are allowed to stack off when the SPR is 10 versus 5, et cetera, et cetera. And those mechanics are out there. They certainly exist. But all they're doing is becoming better at one little tiny iota of the game that will pop up in-game sometimes, and maybe they can even extrapolate some other mechanics off of, but they never actually really get to a point of having a complete strategy because there's nothing driving this mechanic, right? It's just simply, I've seen this done and I know that it works, therefore I execute. I think getting better at thinking about the game is ultimately why we even derive solve for why to begin with. And when it comes to study heuristics, I think that that's ultimately the goal. So like first and foremost, the notion of creating a group is heavily incentivized and incredibly critical. I think secondly, uh, this notion of like a top-down approach for somebody who's starting from scratch, I think is second to none. Because much like deep stack cash is very unstudied uh, to a degree where we're still learning a lot of stuff and the same about ICM, for somebody who's relatively new to poker, that holds true for everything. They don't just come into it with a uh, you know, predetermined understanding of how heads-up play works just because it's relatively solved, right? They don't come in with a downloaded strategy for 100 big blind six max, no ante, because it's relatively solved. Now you have to work into that. And the best way to be able to be versatile and work your way into most environments and be able to be a sharp thinking theoretical player 
is to start with this top-down approach and just start asking really big questions that you're looking to get the answers to, right? So it's like, you know, what, what drives decisions in poker? EV, right? Well, how do I measure EV? I'm not a solver. I can't calculate this in real time. It's like, no, you can't. But there are certain variables we can pluck out of the EV equation that we can put a lot of weight to. Things like position, that's worth something. You know, things like range advantage, that's worth something. Things like SPR, that's worth something. We can break that down a little bit further. Nut advantage, equity advantage, EV advantage, right? Then we break that down a little bit further. Range on range interaction. Now, all of a sudden, we're going from the macro to the mezzo. And eventually, once we start asking ourselves certain questions, we introduce tools. And tools now take us to the micro level where we start to explore. And from exploring, we start to extrapolate. And once we extrapolate things, we test. We test by running drills, right? So if you looked at a formation of button versus big blind single raise pot, and you've explored you know, that range versus range interaction on a bunch of different board textures, and now all of a sudden you want to extrapolate that out and say like, okay, well, what about cutoff versus big blind? What about hijack versus big blind? I think that I can play those spots based off of knowing button versus big blind. Let me test that. And now you just drill, right? You just know that how the ranges have gotten wider or tighter. You know how uh, your range should shift a little bit. And then you just start to see where you make errors because that's where you're gonna learn the most is whatever differentiates hijack versus big blind and button versus big blind. It'll be the, it would be the error rate, right? It's like, oh man, that's a B40 when I'm hijacked because my range is a little bit tighter and his range is so wide that like, you know, I can get more value concentrated by betting bigger, but when I'm the button, my range is really wide, but I still want to see bet with range. So it's like B25 in that spot, right? You start to pull that out. Now you have a heuristic. That's that to me. I know this is a very long winded rant <laughs> and I know it was meant to be much more inclusive. I apologize. I like it. Um, but, but like that to me is what is missing on the open market. And you know, a lot of this is just being spawned off of kind of having a bit of a wake up call uh, come January where it's like, what are we doing with this company? You know, it's like, <laughs> I, I love what we do, but, but at some point. This has turned into a bigger conversation. Well, it's just like, no, it's not. I know what we're doing, but it's like, at some point I put it on autopilot where it's like, okay, well, we're going to run five academies a year. We're going to put out 12 courses a year. We're going to put out three seasons of poker out loud and three seasons of on second thought every year. And that's, that's just like it for eternity, I guess. Right. <laughs> and the problem with that is that you, you take your eye off the ball, right? Like, we, we forgot about who we're ultimately serving and how much things have shifted for that collection, right? Like we are a live focused training site, mm -hmm. period. And for such a long period of time, we've tried to serve everybody where it's like, yeah, but like, you know, theory crafting is important and we understand how to use these tools now. So like we need to hit that middle. We need to hit the hybrid. Let's serve the hybrid. It's like, we don't need to serve the hybrid, right? Because they already have a strategy. If you're playing online and you're winning, you have a strategy, right? You're already in the micro. Landon will serve you very well, but the rest of us are, are probably much more better served to get those blank slates that are, you know, playing one, two, two, three, three, five, 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 ten, whatever. And they've just been grinding for a long period of time without very much direction. Because with them, we could start at the top and we can just say like, okay, here are your heuristics. Now let's dig in. Let's put in some work. And let's get you down to the level of being able to look at the micro and actually extrapolate. And you're a perfect example of this, Brian. Like, yeah, for sure. How far you've come in like 18 months? It's it's incredible. Like when we and it's like you you talk about uh, getting a group, 
right? And that's kind of what we did with the podcast. Like I've, I've started hanging around with you guys a lot more. We talk about poker, whether it's on the podcast before, after, and now it's like, yeah, I definitely like when I, when we first started this, I hadn't played poker a lot and I, I didn't dive into theory. I didn't look at range charts. I didn't look at anything. Right. And it just like, it started with that. It started with all this macro stuff, learning about range advantage, learning about SPR, learning about, you know, the position, these different how positions interact. And then, and then, yeah. And then I started like building a strategy out and my game now compared to like 2022 isn't, is wildly different. Right. And people don't have the perspective that I have of knowing that, from 2003 to 2012, you weren't only a winning player, but like you were more than supporting yourself. Like mm -hmm. you had plenty of six figure bankrolls mm -hmm. throughout that course of time. And then obviously the game evolved and shifted, and your desire to kind of like put in the work that was necessary, it fell off. For sure. Like, like you, mm -hmm. you were happier at the small stakes until eventually mm -hmm. like you got eaten. And, yeah. uh, you know, you became the little manager. Right, exactly. And now you're a goddamn <laughs> killer wreck. Yeah, right? that's what you want to be, right? That's the dream, that's the baby. Dream, right? Yeah, exactly. Have a celery and, you know, play poker. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's why Negrano doesn't have yeah. to show up every fucking day. I don't know. I can, I can spend three days at the academy, you know, just hanging out. Right. I don't have to go down and grind the jewel, but I'm going to, I'm going to be there on Thursday. <laughs> I'm excited to play after these three days, man. You might have, like, have the academy there with you. They love the jewel. <laughs> oh, I know. Hey, it's great. Um, You've been very quiet, Nikki. Oh, I've just been, uh, I like listening. I mean, I like, I think that I agree with Brian about mm -hmm. having a group, um, like listening to you guys, even just in the chat when you guys post a hand history and hearing like uh, higher level brains talk about something that they've studied for a long time and like much longer than me, I feel like that's the time where you soak it up. Um, I, I do think that uh, the, you guys serve the uh, the live cash or, or, or MTT, but you serve the live crowd, right? And I, I do think a, a problem or maybe an issue that a lot of them have is um, that I've noticed just from talking to diff various people in the academy and then also at my tables and stuff is it seems like nobody... It, the the part that excites people about poker is like the big pots, the post flop, the la 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 la, and um, people don't really like to go and constantly repeat the fundamentals like repetition, repetition, repetition of like really nailing like the pre flop stuff and uh, and like and and it's it's eye opening to watch like mm -hmm. especially today in a learning environment like we did I I audited the academy earlier today and. Um, the preflop stuff i feel like needs to be fixed first right but so many people just want to work on the mm -hmm. post flop this stuff. is this is how i learned like like when i started learning like i would i went literally like in chronological order of how a hand works so i learned how to like what what what's like what am i what's pre-swap supposed to look like, right? Yeah. What hand's open? What hand's three bet? What hand's call three bets? What hand's call raises? And what positions. Positions. All, yeah. So like you, once you get that down, it just, that part just makes life so much easier. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it's like, okay, now I get to the flop with this range and against this range. And then here's these different board textures, all these board textures that can come out. All right. How do I, what kind of bet sizings do I use on these board textures? Which kind of bet sizing do I use on here? Uh, and then like, and then the turn, what, what do I look for? Like when this turn comes, how do I react? 
So, and, and then you go to the river, right? So it's just like you, you learn like chronologically, but if you don't start with the pre-flop stuff, then you're, you're going to be like, you're gonna be lost. Yeah. So. And I think like the repetition part, people want to be like, okay, I got it. And then they, you know, no, on to the next, lot, the more complicated part. So many different formations that can happen. And so. they never go back to right. pre-flop or even think that they're even making mistakes in pre-flop mm -hmm. because they're just like, no, I moved past that. Like I, I got that in month one. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. I, I, I think your point's very well stated. Um, you know, people forget, like for us, when I was coming up, um, it was never about the big stuff, the big pots or anything like that. Like it was about how much money can I just win through blind C bets, right? Like, mm. it, like how wide can I get pre if I know that when I C bet and they don't have top pair, I win, right? Yeah. And that was literally a challenge. It was like, can I make, can I make $300 an hour? playing a strategy where I'm just like opening 50% of hands and then C betting range mm -hmm. for, you know, three, two, uh, for like third pot or half pot or whatever, and just garnering like 90% folds. And there's some people that still play like that. Right. Because and they, they, they literally like the, some of this stuff would work. Right. So like, you know, you would literally just auto like auto C bet. You would just, if you opened, you would see bet, right? Because people folded way, way too Lemay's much. Lemay's nickname when we used to play the Pittsburgh underground games was Flopomatic, because he see bet every flop, and they, these old men didn't realize what was going. They just knew he see bet every time. They go, ah, Flopomatic, you always fucking got something. He's just like, oh, he always hits the flop. He's betting every flop, right? So they would just fold and fold and fold and fold, and I would just win infinite, right? And uh, but like, so a lot of people started playing like that. It was just like, well, you have to see bet if you if you raise preflop, then you just continuation bet. That's the thing you do. But eventually, people understood how to like combat that wide see bet range, and you you just get torched now if you if you don't uh, adjust. Yeah. And people who don't study or haven't studied, you know, and been playing since two thousand and six, still play that way. I think the people that aren't too to aware <laughs> of how theory actually works in the sense of not even a defensive strategy, but unexploitable. It's just the iterations of other people, like other bots taking advantage of imbalances. Yeah. Right. People see about too much. Okay. You check raise too much. Okay. Right. They check raise too much. Now you raise too much. Right. Mm -hmm. And this is how you get to this baseline right which is yeah. what slowly has happened through the evolution live mm -hmm. right we've just gone through like a lot of iterations well, very like, slow oh, gto doesn't work at the small stakes or like that, that kind of stuff it's just like well like yeah because if, if you're taking like oh well this hand should do this and this hand should do this and it's probably because you're looking at like what uh the gto response is to a gto action right right but like once you node lock it and you say well they do this and you're like well look at all the exploits yeah. Right. And look at all the all the ways that you can garner so much more EV by doing this, but you don't know that unless you look at the. Well, set. like right. I guess a good example from Academy today was talking about like, like the Ace Deuce Deuce Rainbow board, where it seems like on first glance, like oh, like the opener has an Ace, so there should C bet a lot. And in reality, it's not a range bet board, mm. but the check raises that do come in need to happen pretty frequently. But if the check raises don't come in, how bad can it be to just put in a big blind and see what happens? Correct. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. Like, that's, you're right. That's the iterations mm -hmm. uh, happening in real time, right? If they never check raise, then suddenly we get the range bet again. Yeah. You know, you just come full circle. Uh, Nikki, I think you have a uh, hand today from the academy that you may have played. Might have even put your little happy ass in the muck. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Uh, this mouse is jumpy, but um, I'm... <laughs> Okay, so 
Uh, I'm really good at cutting things off early. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, we were doing um, the Academy today and I actually got to do um, gameplay with that. Um, And we had a hand that I think, um, Berkey, you have on. Yes, I do. Right? Okay. So, yeah. Um, I've... (laughs) Can you not see? Oh, I can't. No. Do you okay. want me to start narrating? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. For, okay, the, so, for yeah. the audio listeners, so Nikki. So it folds around. Okay. We have ace, 10 offsuit in the small blind. I have ace of clubs, 10 of diamonds. It folds around to the button. The button opens to 25. We're playing 510. Okay. So the button opens to 25. So 2.5 X. And I raise from the small blind to 105 doll hairs. The Correct. button calls and we go to a flop. It's queen, three, deuce, two diamonds, mm-hmm. queen of diamonds, three and three of diamonds. We do have the 10 of diamonds, but um, these kind of boards, this is exactly I where I get stuck because... Stuck in the muck. I get stuck in the muck because we're in a three bet pot. Um, the buttons range is wide and also... Since I'm in the small blind and it's a button open, like my three betting range is a little bit wider. Uh, and so I I get, uh, I'm like, well, he definitely has queens in his range. Um, do I C-bet this? Do I C-bet range? I don't know what to do. And when I don't know what to do, I default to checking. So I check and he checks back. Okay. Another diamond falls on the turn. This is the seven of diamonds. And now I'm like, well, I have a diamond and he didn't do anything when I checked to him. So I probably have the best hand right now. So I'll bet, but the flush just got there. So I'm going to bet on the smaller side. I, again, I don't know what to do theoretically. So I just, uh, I bet small, I bet 75 uh, like about, I guess that's like about a third a pot, and <laughs> a third he, a pot, a third a pot. A third a he pot. <laughs> checks his cards, and then he calls. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, the river is a another diamond. Uh, it's the five of diamonds, and I actually um, at this part of the um, hand, I <laughs> this part of the story, I, this part of the hand, I actually grabbed chips to bet with, and then shuffled them, and then put it back and checked. <laughs> because I thought about if I was to bet one, what would my size be? And then what if he like jams on me? Or what if he like, ra- uh, like a 10 is not a high enough diamond that I felt confident calling a jam to or a large raise to. So then I ended up checking with the intent to call whatever he bets. Okay. Because now he can't jam on me. It's a ridiculous, that would be like a really big over pot jam. So I felt like I could call off pretty much any bet size that he makes. Okay. And so he bets 125 and I call a snap call. And then he goes, I have a diamond and he ends up having pocket eights with the eight of diamonds. I turn over my hand. We have the winner, but I don't feel good about the way I played it at all. Okay. Let's talk about it. Yeah. What, uh, what in particular had you in the muck? I mean, I know you kind of divulged a little bit, but if you can pinpoint specifically, where do you think you first went awry? Yeah. So I think the preflop play was fine because it's late position. He's button. I don't want to flat that hand. I don't want to fold that hand and I don't want to, 
Um, and so I, I yeah, so I, the, I have one more choice, which is to three bet it. I think that's pretty okay from the small blind to the button open. But then, yeah, post flop, I guess I just on an ace high board or a king high board, I have no problem c betting because I feel like those are very clearly in the three betting range. Coincidentally, I think ace three deuce would do a lot of checking. That's fair. Okay. I guess Landon can correct me if I'm wrong, but I would imagine you check about half the time on like ace three deuce. Yeah, you don't range bet. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, you don't like, range bet like queen. Your aces. You don't range bet queen two deuce either. Correct. So I think. So then, what about ace ten off? I feel like that's well, the same well, kind of hand classes ace three suited. So what? What I, I think like the way I would like so from my perspective, how I would think about this is I would think about what type of hands are in my three bet range. And then how do they interact with that board, right? So you have like you have a lot of I mean you're you have all the good, ace all ten the and diamonds. Hands. Yeah, so you have but you have, yeah you have ace ten diamonds but you have aces you have kings you have queens you have ace queen, right? You have some you have king king queen suited, uh maybe you have king queen off no. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. It's almost pure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right, yeah. right. King, queen, yes, off. we do, turtle. Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I said that, and I knew. I, I said we have king, queen, off. And like, well, wait, do we? And at the, at yeah. the jewel, make, maybe at the jewel, we I just, just flatted a little. Sure, yeah. I just wanted to make sure, you know. Anyways, so we, you have like all these really good hands that probably want to bet that board, mm -hmm. right? So, I, so that in my mind, I it would lead me to wanting to bet more often than not. And do you think the fact that I have a diamond in my hand makes me want to bet it a little bit more? I would not? think yes. Yeah, right. Yes, because okay. you can you can find ways to win when they have a better hand than you like they did. Yeah, so that the all those started going through my head and then on the turn I was like I should have bet flop because I blocked ace 10 of diamonds, but it was mm -hmm. too late by that point. So yeah, I, I think I just that's where I kind of got in the muck where I was like I realized I there's so many boards where I just check after three betting because if I'm out of position, because mm -hmm. I will one, I'm like, well, I'm protecting my checking range. Cause I would actually, I think I would check like a ACE three suited or an ACE five suited or like a, you know, top pair hand with like, uh, but to protect uh, your, to protect, to protect your, uh, checking range, you need to check good hands. Not yeah, like yeah. Ace high oh, hands. I was talking about like if right. uh, I was talking about if it, it was came ace, 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 oh, oh, yeah, gotcha, it ace gotcha, gotcha. Sorry, I should have right, clarified right, that. Right, right, right. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I feel like I'm like, oh, it can't be too bad if I check here. Mm -hmm. But then a lot of the story doesn't make sense later. Well, right. all right. So the story can still make sense. So I kind of said this to you downstairs. Uh, I hadn't looked at the spot, but I was pretty sure it like wasn't quite a range bet. Um, but it's going to be a high frequency bet because it's queen high disconnect and that's just generally going to favor your range. You're going to have a lot of pocket pairs. You're going to have a lot of very strong ace highs. You're going to have a lot of queen X, right? So what I basically said is a simple rule of thumb in three bet pots uh, is if you're unsure whether or not to C bet, then you should just mix check in half pot. Mm. Like that's, that's the quote unquote lazy approach because depending on the stack depth, like depending on what the SPR is, you're either going to bet 40% in this spot or you're going to bet 67% in this spot, right? Uh, and you're going to do it with every hand that bets. You're going to play a single size. But since, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those spots where, like, you have a little bit less clarity, you can never really go wrong with half pot. And now you just need to figure out a way to parse between which hands you choose to check and which hands you choose to bet. I think having a diamond is a pretty good start. I was going to say, so if you have, like, the ace-10 specifically off, 
the ones that contain diamonds, you bet. The ones that don't, you check. I wouldn't go that far because it's like too many checks. Yeah, well, no, it's it's not even that. It's that your checks become too weak, right? Because like you don't what always. What happens when you face a stab? If you right, 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 right. You right, want right, to have right. the ace of diamonds sometimes, if, especially if you're going to ever play check raise. You want to have the ten of diamonds, which, particularly when you want to play should, check call. You should right. play check raise sometimes. <laughs> right. So just you know, we we start to we start to peel apart the onion. Right now, all of a sudden, this very simple question of like, should I have better not on the flop becomes well, it depends. And here are twenty other reasons that you should be considering. <laughs> right. You should be considering yeah. your check raising range, your check calling range, your betting range, uh, your bet calling range whenever he he raises and stuff like that. So it's not simple. Right. You you're right to have that feeling of I'm not sure what to do here or let's say it's yeah, like what would you have done if he bet the, the flop do you know or do you or like or you I, just I, kinda... I well I I would continue I would well it depends on the bet size I guess yeah, yeah well, so like, he he went like half. if it's half I would half. I would continue half on queen three deuce well, well I'm just it, saying in position that's what that's, yeah. what that's what people do they just it is what they, people do but that's not obviously the proper size it's that's always, not the proper size mom, I'm not always, saying it is mom, right <laughs> but, but I'm saying what you're gonna face most often is a half putt yeah like yeah, if you yeah. know you're facing half pot, you should check less. Okay. In general, right? With like now you could default to if I have a diamond, I bet. If I do not have a diamond, I check because uh, you don't really need to be bluffing a ton with naked hands. You could just choose equitable hands instead. So like it's yeah. it's queen three also... deuce. You could just choose like ace five mm -hmm. instead to check raise. Um, basically, you're like you don't want to you don't want to check and then face too large of a size and now deny yourself a lot of equity. Yeah, I think the bet comes infrequently as well because like so, when, when you three bet and then check, they like check back. So you want to like uh, basically block bet? No. Oh, okay. You no, do you're if you're sizing in position. Doesn't if you're out of position, you want to go like if you're out of position, you want to probably go. It's a hundred factor, right? Yeah. Yeah, you want to go three or check. Uh yeah, we, we I, I want to stick to like what Nikki's strategy is. Yeah, right? out of position, okay. you just go yeah. like half. It's like fifty-five, yes. half, whatever. Yeah. Right, you can mix it, mm -hmm. bet or check. It's right. be fine, but it's not a range bet board. Point is, is that it doesn't really matter what you do between betting and checking. What does matter is that you would have gotten the sizing right, which we're not sure if you would have or not. I I don't think I would have. Right. So the fact that you defaulted to a check should also tell you that you're probably not supposed to bet quarter pot if you do bet, mm -hmm. and that's a good heuristic to lean on. Like what's right? the function of small? Right. Right. If there was a function to small, you would never check. Right. Right. So just by the, the fact that like you, you had an urge to check your hand should just tell you that like, if I change my mind suddenly in this moment, I shouldn't then bet 25%. Right. I should then bet like, you know, half or 67 Something like that. Well, yeah, you want to make, I, I, I guess make like can, eight yeah. <laughs> indifferent or make it make eights be like, oh, well, I don't know. They're not indifferent yet, but you, like you want to give them a hard time over multiple streets. Right. Okay. Yeah. Knowing that a big bet's coming in on the yeah. turn. Also, like if we're, if we know that we're mixing between checks and bets, we're probably not going to mix between check and small. That, that's what I was saying. Yeah. 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 I guess. Uh, right. It's like, why would we choose the checker but go small if we're going to break down our range? So, it's like by, the, so by block, but I, I guess you, when I say block, but you're like, oh, 25%, which is like, yeah, a small block, but, but block is like I, I, I guess under. what I was more saying is like, I bet so that I don't have to face a, a large bet. That's never really a reason to bet. Okay. It's just more so that if you have hands that mix and you're, you have some sort of like vision over your opponent's strategy where he takes like, marginal hands and bets them for too big of a size then you want to check a little bit more of your traps and you want to bet a little bit more of your equity 
right? So like if you have ace queen, you want to check it a little bit more so that eight puts in the two thirds pot, right? Mm -hmm. And if you have ace 10 with the ace of diamonds, you want to bet it a little bit more so that like eights is now mad facing the same size that he would have been happy to put in himself, right? It's, it's, it's flipping the strategy. And uh, we're talking like relatively exploitatively here, but we're also talking about a range of hands that every single candidate does both things, right? Every candidate in range either bets or checks at some frequency. So thinking about it more practically as far as like, what am I trying to accomplish is I think a better heuristic to lean on, right? Yeah. Uh, and we're really only talking about in some sort of like weird live world where you can anticipate them to bet for too large of a size when you check. If we're talking theory land, you're only ever going to face quarter, and that's why so much of your range is happy to check. I do think people kind of forget that you can make things mad on flop, and they try to do it on the turn. Yeah, agree. Where it's like, okay, I'm going to start with a small bet to see what happens. Like, if they raise, they might have a good hand, or if they call, they might have like a middling pair between. And then if the turn is something good for me, like a king... Now I'm going to go for a bigger bet because now these pairs have to fold mm -hmm. when in reality you can just make those hands be indifferent on flop and still fold the turn later. Yeah. Because a lot of the button range that calls the three bet is going to be a lot of pairs between the three and the queen that aren't just a queen. And if you get call called, now it's more likely that they do have a queen. Right. Yeah, I, I think that that's all good points. So anyway, point is you didn't flub up the flop. Yeah, I did. <laughs> well, maybe because you didn't have any intention. Like, it's a, just a scared check. Right. So I would say that that is, like, the error. It's a good name, fear check. Yeah. Is is when we make a play out of fear, uh, that becomes the error. But, like, we can see that your exact hand... The Ten of Diamonds does mostly bet. Um, they both do, right? Just Ace-10 with a diamond, from what I can see? Uh, Let's see. So this one pure bets, this one... They're all pretty close. They're right? pretty close. Like this one, you can see it checks like 10%. That's what I said. Something like that. Tortoise got um, it right. But yeah, Tortoise got it right. <laughs> if you have diamond, bet, bet your hand. Um, but yeah, Ace-10 in general uh, mixes between bet and check. Anyway, uh, moving on. Uh, he obviously has a clear bet with eights. I think eight with a diamond. Oh, actually it does check back at a lot higher frequency. So it's eight no diamond that actually does all the betting. You need more protection. Mm. Yeah, I guess that makes some sense. Uh, like especially if she's to supposed to be betting like her hands to possess a diamond. That makes a lot more sense. He's betting a quarter pot. Uh, is it just like higher frequency? It's because, it's because he's, in, he's position. in position. Okay. Right, it's <laughs> nice, just, nice, Matt. It's, uh, it's a range <laughs> advantage board for you and yeah. you chose to check. So he can never like say like, oh, uh, she's really bad at poker. When she checks, she just has nothing. So I'm going to bet large. Mm -hmm. Because A, that's incongruent. And B, uh, that's also not true. So if it were true, he would still want to bet small because it would mean that he's just giving a tough time to all of your bad hands. Mm -hmm. But B, uh, it's also just not true. You're going to check hands that are happy to check call that are good hands, like maybe nines, maybe tens, things like that. Maybe so, queens. Right, so like betting big just doesn't really ever accomplish anything for him. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised to see that his actual hand checks back, but it does make a lot of sense to me why it does. Like so, it's, you can still realize on turn. You don't right. want it, like you get check raised. Right. Getting, getting check raised yeah. is fine, right? Because you have a diamond. Yeah. But that's why you check raise eights, no diamonds. Where if you get check raised, you're yeah, like, if whatever. You get check raised, you're saying you're, you're calling a check raise. You have to call check raise with eights with a diamond. You're, you have too much equity. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Like folding, folding would be a red, torch. red card. Super torch. <laughs> yeah. That's, um, why I wouldn't, that's why I wouldn't bet because I'd probably end up folding, <laughs> folding to the check raise. I'm like, I don't want to fold to a check raise. I'm not entirely sure, equity. but I would, I would bet that you probably also call eights with no diamond. It's probably mixes. I would say, I would say folds mixes. Uh, 
Nope. Nope. You're right. It's the one with the diamonds. Yeah. The ones without just pure. You, have to try, you can make a flow. See, see how see how conditioned you are, like we are to like our environment. No, because like I'd be like, well, if they check raise, they just are so nutted. That's what I've been yelling at you guys about. <laughs> right. Right. It's like yeah. I I saw a guy bet middle pair and then get check raised and just snap forward. And he had almost sixty percent equity in the hand. Yeah. Just like you can't do this. Right. Uh, okay. So we arrive at the turn seven of diamonds. And uh, I think your actual framework of logic here is reasonable, but I think the problem is, is you don't recognize uh, how much more polarizing your betting range becomes here. Yeah. Right? Because, like, basically you're playing the game of, like, flush, no flush. Actually, that's not true. You're playing the game of, like, uh, big pair, one diamond, or better, or just, like, hands the compliment, big pair, one diamond, and flushes. So it would be like your ace five would be a good bluff, right? So like ace five of spades is going to be a good bluff candidate. That's going to complement aces. Um, you're going to play like big bet with like, you know, the nut flush. You're going to play big bet with ace of diamonds king, right? That, those are going to be like your, your equity range. You're going you're gonna to play big bet with aces. So like your range that you carve out that needs to bet is actually incredibly polar. It's going to be sets, flushes, not flush draws, and then like really low equity hands, like ace five, no diamond, something like that, right? Like straight draw with an over that could potentially barrel twice because um, you need some bluffs on four flushes, right? So like ace five of spades would be that. Um, all this stuff that falls in the middle, like if you have, you know, pocket jacks, you don't really want to bet, you know? You have second pair to the board, Maybe you have a flush draw, but like he could just have a better flush draw. He could just have a queen that he checked back. Like no real need to bet that hand. And there's a lot of hands in those hand classes. Jacks, tens, nines, eights. Um, you know, all of these hands kind of fill in there. A lot of your queen X that may have checked. So it's really no surprise that we see ace 10 just plays pure check. Mm. Right. It doesn't really serve to be a part of the bluffing portion because it's not value betting. Uh, and it's not really getting better to fold. Right, like, what are you attacking? Ace, Jack, no diamond. You know, yeah, I guess like pocket fours or some something. Pairs are calling. Mm -hmm. At that point, they gotta call. Yeah. Right, like, uh, well, more specifically for the size that you chose, pairs have to call. Right, that's true. Yes. Right, because yeah. you just decided to go pretty small. Yeah. Uh, whereas I would say this was a panic bet. <laughs> I just right. was like, <laughs> I have a diamond. Uh, he checked back flop. I'm in a panic. So we're starting to see a trend. Yeah, yeah. This is this is definitely an in the muck hand. Like I right. was in the muck. Not I don't have any rhyme or reason or understanding of a heuristic involved with this particular. I, I think line. I think like this very specifically, uh, what's easily identifiable to me is that what puts you in the muck is that you have a hand that's on the cusp. Yes. It's the bottom of your ace-x offsuit that three bets, right? Yes. It's uh, it's like middle of the range when it comes to your showdown value. Um, it has just enough equity because it possesses a diamond. So it has like all of these properties to it that make you feel really icky no matter what you choose to do. Yeah. And the uncomfortable thing about No Limit Hold'em is that's a lot of where we make our money. You mm -hmm. nailed it. It's because it's bottom of range. Like I... I would have just folded ace nine off pre flop, right. like I had no problem. Well, let's not go that far. Well, I, <laughs> maybe I we call. Uh, I don't know. It depends. But <laughs> okay, go on. No problem. Yeah, yeah. No, no problem. problem. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> but yeah, I guess. Uh, but yeah, like you're trying to navigate yeah, a hand that doesn't have that. a clear decision, right? Because like aces have a very clear decision post. Yeah. Where it's like even if you fear FC check, it doesn't <laughs> matter. You have aces. 
right? Like you'll just do whatever you want to do with aces. If he bets, you're going to raise or call. You're never going to fold. Right. If he checks back, like you're just going to find bets on the turn. And like, yeah, the size is going to be wrong because you're not necessarily thinking about the spot that well. But it doesn't matter because aces just make money. Well, it just it just stems from uncertainty of action. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh man, I have this hand and now here's this board. I don't really know what to do and I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And here I am. Yeah. And and more importantly, here we I spoke am. about this a Once lot. Again. We spoke about this a lot in the academy. Your strategy is derived from what the top of your range wants to do. And in this particular spot, whether you were thinking about it or not, what you're ultimately saying is that you think the top of your range wants to bet a quarter pot. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you put it that when way. When you break it down, yeah. It seems in a little moment, ridiculous, right? I was like, I gotta bet something, I think. <laughs> right, which is, which is totally reasonable. But like, if we think about it as like, what does the top of my range want to do? Yeah. It's, I, it wants to get stacks in. I also think that, like, in my head, I, when I looked at my cards, I was like, well, if this was the ace of diamonds, I would bet here. But mm. since it's the ten of diamonds, it's still a little too weak for me. But then I would float with it, I guess. I don't know. I just kind of just did not know what to do. Yeah. Well, I guess new, well, like, new strategic heuristic can just be when you have bottom ace-x off on a flush draw board you can just bet when you have the flush draw card. Okay. Like ace of diamonds. And it doesn't matter if it's the kicker or the... It, what if it was eight, ace five off of the five... Or I wouldn't three bet that. Never mind. Okay. Never Even mind. so, <laughs> it would be more clear because you flop a gut shot. Oh, right, right. Yeah. Like if you have like ace... If you have like ace wheel in that spot, you just hammer it. Yeah. Probably just go like geo three. Yeah. Turns not a diamond. It's like a clean. That's a 10. You just you bomb it because you have... Me mechanically it's good to do so okay yeah we we I, I can go back to the flop strategy and you can just see that like love uh, ace wheels like ace we four know. ace four for a gut <laughs> shot is just like you know 75 percent bet frequency you check a when you five. have actual equity like you have like see like ace five of hearts ace four ace your hearts clubs go pure mm -hmm. but if you can you can check raise the other ones because they're good so when you bet them but sometimes you can check raise because you have a backdoor flush right draw. like the ace five backdoor yeah doesn't doesn't bet so you just take frequently. the ones that you don't have extra equity and just try to rifle it yeah. You probably bet the turn a lot with it too, yeah. Right? Like if you so. if you bear, if you see bet flop get called because you want to have bluffs on four flushes and still win with a straight. I would imagine that you are correct. Like you take you look at ace five of clubs. I imagine the size probably goes down. Yeah, yeah small. So now, yeah. So see now once we come through the betting line, now your inclination is correct. We don't need to go as big because we can play for stacks for smaller sizing. Our flushes don't care about trying to get money in or not. Right. It'll just naturally happen. So yeah, now you can see like the ace four starts to bet like 40%. Um, and it's with the intention to, you know, sometimes jam river, sometimes uh, come through a block again. Just depends on the run out. Spades aren't as good because you block ace hex of spades backdoor. Correct. And ace four suited is all, the, it looks like almost all the suits except it's pure. for one. Well, it's pure, yeah. Like ace four is a pure three bet pre. Yeah. And then flop, you want to bet pure because you have the gutter. And now, like, where else do you find your bluffs from on, on rivers? Yep. Okay, so we arrive at the river uh, through this manifested line <laughs> that you pulled out of the vortex. Yeah. <laughs> vortex. In Sedona or whatever. Oh, yeah. Right. Uh, and now you basically have the option between checking and betting yeah. as you've made your f 10 high flush. Yeah. Uh, you ultimately elected to check, um, which is reasonable. You do check your range an awful lot. Um, and the next closest hand we could look at that's a 10 high flush is pocket tens because ace 10 doesn't really ever get here. It's supposed to pure check the turn. Um, but tens with the 10 of diamonds does get here and it basically mixes between full pot and check. So you finding a check with the 10 of diamonds 
very reasonable if you had the ace of spades, let's say, because it's only 10 of spades, 10 of diamonds that's mixing. Uh, your other two are just pure pot size bets. Mm -hmm. So basically the issue is, and Brian pointed this out to you in the kitchen, is that if you check the 10 of diamonds, what ultimately happens is the eight of diamonds checks back too often. Mm -hmm. And now you miss all that value. Yeah. But you still pay off the jack of diamonds when he chooses to bet it. Yes. Correct? Yeah. So instead, what we do is we just go for what our hand is worth, which is roughly pot, and we try to get called by all of his single diamonds. You remember, you're allowed to bet fold. Right. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's when like, he jams oh, on you, you probably it's really hard for you to bet 100% pot and then him look at a hand like the six of diamonds and just decide to be all in or whatever. Yeah, the six of diamonds and just like be all in. Uh-huh. Right. He's just supposed to bluff catch with that hand. Right. Yeah. Or maybe fold, whatever. Um, or you probably just call. You have a six of diamonds in this. Yeah, I agree. So this, you check. In this odd node. You check and he is supposed to almost pure check, but the eight of diamonds just ever so slightly works its way in there <laughs> if he also has the eight of hearts with it so definitely doesn't if you're checking the ten it's of like diamonds the sliveriest so. of sliver yeah it's just the tiniest little savior uh but he's supposed to also bet full pot because you know if it's good enough to bet for he value, went quarter pot he, he went custom he did go custom he went third pot actually sure. um but and he it, did say i thought i was val betting for value there well so. he was yeah for yeah, third so pot he certainly is like thinking if i have if i don't have a diamond then i can't then I probably won't call mm -hmm. anyway. So yeah, it's I mean, like a, if we alter it, but, as you can see, if we alter it to third pot now, eights with mm -hmm. the diamond gets in there a lot more. But you should still call sometimes without a diamond. Yeah, no, of I course. have before. Course, it depends on <laughs> I've the, done it before. I've done it and been right many times with like. Uh, you ever turn queens into a bluff though? Yeah, um, you can see like nines with no diamond <laughs> versus third pot is calling. <laughs> um, all of your queen X versus third pot is pure calling. Yeah. Uh, sometimes jamming like queen 10 of spades actually jams um queen's such a good bluff yeah king queen pure bluff so good weird place to pull it from but pure bluff. yeah <laughs> it's because you block queen x with the diamond hands like right. the nutted ones yeah exactly you block ace queen with a diamond yeah so very uh very tricky spot <laughs> very <laughs> custom <laughs> spot very custom um <laughs> i like that we, customism yeah. well it's it's a nice way it's of so Custom. It's a very polite way yes. of putting that the wizard is a little upset with <sighs> young Nikki. Reject me, daddy. <laughs> <laughs> like and subscribe. Reject me, daddy. Oh, man. All right. I don't know how that ended up just on a plain black screen, oh, but I, even better, I'll to be quite honest. You Actually, I, I, I do know. Okay, I, I you know, know precisely what, yeah. what happened. Yeah. Uh, that was fantastic. I hope you guys enjoyed this one. It was a little bit dense in strategy. Uh, I know I personally enjoyed uh, going on my little tangents of sort. Nikki, thank you again, as always, for running the ship. Yeah, you're uh, welcome. I'm you're, so good at it. You you're know? quite the guapo like, replacement. Like and subscribe, <laughs> man. <laughs> if there's anybody watching this that hasn't liked, subscribed, and clicked the fucking bell by now, <laughs> you're just an anarchist. Yeah. Like, you clearly just refuse to conform to right. what we're begging you to do. We missed the signs. We need uh, you. We, we appreciate all of you guys for tuning in day in and day out. Thank you guys so much. <laughs> Uh, for being a part of the Only Friends family. We will be back again tomorrow for the final episode of the week. Is it the final episode? No. 
What? Nope. No, tomorrow's yeah, Thursday. Tomorrow's Thursday. Fuck. Yeah. God. You wish. My final episode. It's because usually Wednesdays are stretch chat, and so that's, you thought it was Thursday. Well, every day stretch chat this week. Oh, that's true. Uh, right. we're, we're, we're working it all in with the Academy. I'm anyway, leaving you. Uh, thank you guys so much. We're, le- we're losing Landon. He's headed to Florida, so uh, that seat's going to free up. And I go home. maybe one of you will get a lucky, lucky little invite here to the uh, Salt No, that's not happening. We'll see you guys tomorrow, <laughs> 11 a.m. Pacific. Peace. Bye. Peace.